Welcome to Tibet Talks, a podcast series from the International Campaign for Tibet. You're about to hear the recording of a live conversation. We hope you enjoy the show. Tashi Delay, and welcome to Tibet Talks. I'm Ashwin Verghese of the International Campaign for Tibet. Thank you for joining us on today's show. When we talk about saving Tibet, it's not just because Tibetans, like all people, deserve to live in basic human dignity and freedom. It's also because the Tibetan people have an enormous amount to contribute to the society and the culture of our world. Pema Seddon was a brilliant Tibetan director, screenwriter, and author. Through arresting, involving films like Tharlo, Old Dog, and the Silent Holy Stones, he showed the world a look into life inside Tibet, seen through the eyes of a Tibetan himself, a rare and remarkable feat under the censorious rule of the Chinese Communist regime. In more ways than one, Pema Seddon was a trailblazer. And yet, as we'll hear later in our conversation with Tenzin Sanum, one of the distinguishing features of Pemmesed in cinema is its preoccupation with the past. Specifically, the clash between the traditional way of life of the Tibetan people and the soulless modernity hoisted on them by the government of Beijing. Unfortunately, Pemmesed died tragically last month at the age of just 53. Therefore, we will not get to see what this visionary director still in the prime of his creative life, would have done in the future. But Pema Seddon left behind a vital artistic legacy, including by encouraging and inspiring other Tibetans inside Tibet to find their own voice as cinema makers. We will discuss all of that on today's episode of Tibet Talks with our guest, the Tibetan exile filmmaker, Tenzin Sonam. But first, I am pleased to introduce a new segment of the show. As our longtime audience knows, Tibet Talks was primarily hosted by Tencho Getso, my ICT colleague. But a few months ago, Tencho was elevated to the position of ICT president, a well-deserved and widely celebrated honor. With Tencho now the leader of the organization, I wanted to check in with her so she could provide all of our followers here on Tibet Talks with an update about what's happening at the organization and in the wider Tibet movement. Therefore, I sat down with Tencho earlier this week for a chat, ICT president. Let's hear what she had to say. So I'm speaking to you on the morning of Monday, June 12th, and we just wrapped up a very exciting week here at ICT. Can you tell our audience about that? Yes, um, we just wrapped up last week our Tibetan Youth Leadership Program. We had uh, nine youth undergrad and grad students from um, across the United States here, and um, we had a packed week of programs with them showing them how ICT operates, uh, showing meetings for them with their congressional officers, with the State Department, um, the Office of Undersecretary um, 
Zaya, who is the special coordinator for Tibetan Affairs, and with Ambassador Rasha Tuzan, who is the International Religious Freedom Ambassador at the State Department. So the youth got a chance to learn firsthand how policy is shaped in DC and um, how I see, uh, we operate uh, here in Washington. So it was busy, but we, mm. we, we had a good time with them and you mm. had a session with them as well. I did, yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was great to see these young Tibetan Americans come here and get the opportunity to learn about the policymaking process like Venture mentioned. I think they had a lot of fun getting to see the nation's capital as well. So it was kind of a good time all around, a lot of work like Venture said, but uh, a big program here at ICT, so we're very happy that it went off well. Uh, before TYLP, I know you've been traveling a lot since you took over as president of ICT. You were in New York recently and you met with other ICT leaders. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, um, one of the things I wanted to do was uh, to meet uh, with our colleagues in person. So we had um, the executive directors of our office in uh, Germany, Mr. Kai Müller, and, and the executive director of our offices in um, Amsterdam and Brussels, Mr. Wong Putethong, and Bujun uh, Serena, who heads now our research and monitoring unit here. Four of us in New York, we met with our ICT chairman, uh, Mr. Richard Gere, chairman of the board of directors of ICT, Mr. Richard Gere, and uh, Mr. David Serena, who's also a board member. Uh, to advise us on uh, what we should be looking at um, the weeks ahead and also to kind of coordinate uh, the works that we do in our different offices. So we met there, we had two full days of meetings. And uh, you mentioned Bujangla, and uh, I do want to throw in here too that uh, we also had a very exciting day for him last week uh, when he received an honor from the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. He received the Truman Reagan Medal of Freedom, which is a great reflection on him personally and as well on the Tibet movement. Uh, Shumar, you want to share your congratulations for uh, Buchong and receiving the award? Yes, we were very uh, proud and happy to see Buchong recognized at that event. I know personally from having worked over almost 15 years here at ICT very closely with Buchong how his dedication, his uh, uh, wise counsel, his, you know, day and night, uh, it does, mm -hmm. uh, he's there uh, working on these issues. So um, we felt uh, proud uh, to be part uh, of this uh, uh, event, recognizing uh, Pujula and the work of ICT and the work of Tibet and the Tibetan struggle. Um, there's many people in general, so I think um, this award uh, means a lot uh, uh, for us Tibetans as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great day and we were all very excited to be there to celebrate with Buchanwa. And uh, Sutencho, we talked a little bit about what's been happening the last few weeks. As we look ahead, uh, next month will also be a busy month. We have His Holiness's upcoming 88th birthday, which is a huge source of excitement for all of us. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's kind of coming up for ICT? Yes, we have, um, as you said, we're just in the middle of um, organizing the birthday event. Um, we normally do that in uh, coordination with the Office of Tibet, Representative Nandiel, and the local Tibetan community, the Capital Area Tibetan Association. Uh, so July 6th, we'll have an event, um, and we hope our special coordinator, Under Secretary Zaya, um, we'll be attending that as well as other dignitaries and guests. So uh, we'll be sharing more as uh, as we get closer to it. 
Lastly, Tensha, any other messages that you'd like our Tibet Talk audience to know? No, thank you. Uh, please share with us if you have thoughts on what you would like to hear uh, from us mm -hmm. uh, in our Tibet Talks as well as in the work we do. And um, we're here, we're able to do all this work with the support and generosity of ICP members all around. So really, thank you for your support. And Joe, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you, Ashwin. Thank you. My thanks to my colleague, ICT President Tensho Gatso, for sitting down with me earlier this week for that discussion. I hope you all enjoyed hearing once again from our original host here on Tibet Talks, and we promise to check back in with Tenshala on future episodes of the program. But for now, let's get back to the main topic of today's show. As I mentioned, we are here today to explore the legacy of the luminous Tibetan filmmaker, Pemisetin. Let me give you some background details about this great director who, again, passed away last month at the age of 53. Pema Setin was born 1969 in the traditional Tibetan region of Ando. Though he worked early on as a teacher and a civil servant, in the early 1990s, he began publishing short stories set in Tibet, written in both the Tibetan and Chinese languages. According to the New York Times, these stories, quote, depicted individuals confronted with sweeping changes, a theme that Pemisetin would return to in his film work. In the early 2000s, Pemisetin attended China's premier film school, the Beijing Film Academy, of which he was the first Tibetan graduate. In 2005, his debut movie, The Silent Holy Stones, reportedly made him the first Tibetan filmmaker in the PRC to shoot a feature film entirely in the Tibetan language. The movie also earned Pemisetin the best directorial debut at China's 25th Golden Rooster Awards. His follow-up feature, 2009's The Search, or Soul Searching, won the Special Jury Award at the 12th Shanghai International Film Festival. In 2011, Pemisetin released Old Dog, which won Best Narrative Feature at the 2012 Brooklyn Film Festival and broke new ground in his career, is arguably his first movie with a clear narrative arc. It was also arguably his angriest film to date, which perhaps reflected the deteriorating situation in Tibet in the early 2010s. Pemisetin's next feature, Tharlo from 2015, was also despairing, and it raised Pemisetin's status to an even higher level in the world of global cinema. The film premiered at the Venice Film Festival, one of the top film festivals in the entire world, and it was nominated for the festival's coveted Golden Lion Prize. Pemisetin received further acclaim for the films Jimpa in 2018 and Balloon the following year. At the time of his passing, he was reportedly working on several other projects. But my describing Pemisetin's filmography hardly does it justice. For that, you have to watch his movies yourself. And I highly encourage all of you who are watching or listening to this program to look up Pemisetin's films on your own. You might be able to borrow them from your local library, or you can stream them online. So please do check them out. But for now, we want to share with you a brief highlight reel from three of Pemisetin's films, Darlo 
Jimpa, and Balloon. For those of you who are listening to this episode of Tibet Talks as a podcast, you can find the video on the YouTube channel of the International Campaign for Tibet. And for those of you who are watching live, let's take a look right now. I hope you could tell from that clip what an incredible visual stylist and visual storyteller Pemisetin was. But the best way to understand one great filmmaker is to hear from another great filmmaker. And on today's episode of Tibet Talks, we are fortunate to speak with Tenzin Sonam, a Tibetan filmmaker based in exile. In tandem with his partner, Ritsu Seren, and their production company, White Crane Films, Tenzin Sonam has made over 20 documentaries, several video installations, and two dramatic features, including the pair's superb 2018 film, The Sweet Requiem, which screened right here in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. A recurring subject in the pair's work is the issue of Tibet, which they have been intrinsically and intimately involved with, personally, politically, and artistically. They are also the directors of the Dharamsala International Film Festival, based in the Tibetan exile capital of Dharamsala, India, which is one of India's leading independent film festivals. After Pema Seddin's death last month, Tenzin Sonam shared on Twitter an essay he had written analyzing Pema Seddin's work. It is an excellent and insightful essay, and we will include the link to read it in the comment section of our Facebook Live post and in our podcast notes. So please check that out. In the meantime, Tenzin Sonam was kind enough to speak to me last week about Pema Seddin. Let's listen to that conversation now. Tenzin Sonam La, Tashi Delay, thank you so much for being with us and welcome to Tibet Talks. Tashi Delay, Ashwin, thank you for uh, having me. We really appreciate you being here. I wish we were kind of meeting under better circumstances, but uh, today we are here to talk about the memory of uh, Pema Setin, a great Tibetan filmmaker. So it's an honor for us to be joined by another great Tibetan filmmaker. So thank you for being part of this conversation. Um, so I wanted to ask you here, uh, just to start out with, so we want to try to kind of understand the filmography of, of the Pemisetin. It seems to me that a lot of great filmmakers, they tend to focus on some of the same themes over and over in their work. For example, Martin Scorsese, the director of Kundun, has made a number of films about great religious figures like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Jesus Christ, others. On the thematic level, what were Pemisetin's films about? 
I think Pema Seton, uh, almost without exception, uh, dealt with uh, the conflict between modernity and uh, tradition as it was playing out uh, in Tibet. And uh, I think this was a subject that was very close to him. He, uh, he observed uh, the changes that were taking place uh, in his homeland, in Amdo. Uh, being from a kind of a nomadic pastoral background himself, he was uh, very close to uh, the, the, the changes that were taking place. And I think he could see that uh, you know, traditions in Tibet, uh, language, uh, the folk culture, uh, religious practice, uh, these were all kind of uh, changing uh, very quickly, very rapidly, rapidly and dramatically uh, with un uncertain kind of uh, you know, results. And this was something that he kind of uh, focused on keenly uh, right from his very first film. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so it's good to get that kind of introduction to the subject matter that he liked to deal with. Now let's talk about uh, Pemisetin's style and technique. So as I mentioned, you are a great filmmaker yourself. Um, as a director, what can you tell us about Pemisetin's style and technique uh, in his own films? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, Pemisetin was, uh, you know, he was a very rigorous and uh, conceptual filmmaker. He, uh, I think he thought through uh, how he was going to employ the cinema language for each of the films he was uh, going to make, or the stories that he was going to tell. And uh, he was uh, very kind of disciplined in the way that he was, uh, uh, you know, going to uh, make his films. Um, you know, uh, he thought through every aspect of how he would compose a shot, how he would edit his films. I mean, his films are highlighted by, for instance, uh, long takes. He, uh, he often uh, shot films, uh, you know, with very long takes. For instance, uh, the opening sequence in uh, Tarlo, one of his later films, I think runs almost 10 minutes without a cut, you know, and it's uh, the main character just standing in front of the camera reciting Chairman Mao's uh, quotations. But for those 10 minutes, you're kind of uh, held by what's happening uh, on screen. And this was something he did uh, uh, constantly throughout his career, long takes. Uh, he uh, also kind of... Uh, used very, uh, very few close-ups. Uh, he, he didn't like to uh, use close-ups. He, he preferred to shoot, uh, you know, scenes in uh, long, uh, long shots, which means to keep the characters quite far away from the camera. And he did that de deliberately, I think, to kind of uh, create a sense of alienation uh, that the characters were facing, maybe with their environment, with their, uh, with their landscape. Uh, he also uh, didn't, you know, uh, he didn't use many conventional cinema techniques. For instance, uh, you know, normally when you shoot a conversation between two characters, you would have a back and forth kind of a cutting uh, rhythm. You know, you'd have character A talking, you'd cut to character B, like listening or responding. But Premise Seton would always shoot uh, conversations in one, sh one frame, both characters in the frame, long takes, like, you know, where they would just talk to each other. So these were some of the hallmarks of uh, Pema Seten's uh, stylistic kind of uh, choices. And I think in doing that, he carved out for himself a very specific kind of uh, uh, a style for himself, one that was immediately recognizable, so that, uh, you know, in the international kind of uh, uh, cinema, you know, uh, forum, uh, Pema Seten's films were recognized as being distinctly Pema films, you know, which is uh, saying quite a lot, I think. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I uh, I saw Tarlo a few years ago, and I was struck by the opening shot that you mentioned. But it's very interesting to hear it in that context about kind of what he was saying by uh, filming the, that scene in that way. So thanks for mentioning that. So recently, after Pemisen unfortunately passed away, I saw on Twitter you shared a uh, piece that you had written about him. I think it was quite a few years ago, maybe in 2011. But you wrote about kind of discovering his his films and his first movie, The Silent Holy Stones. Um, you write that, you know, because of China's occupation of Tibet and the way that uh, censorship works uh, in Tibet under Chinese rule, uh, you kind of instinctively, you could say, quote, I instinctively expected a film that would at best present a rosy picture of life in Tibet and at worst be out and out propaganda. A very understandable response, of course. However, once you actually saw the film, you said it was basically it was a surprise. It was a revelation. Uh, can you talk to us about that experience of discovering Pema Setin as a filmmaker and, and watching The Silent Holy Stones for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you have to remember that uh, I grew up in, in exile. And uh, for, a, for the longest time, you know, Tibetans who grew up in exile did not have a direct connection with, uh, with Tibet. And uh, we were kind of, uh, I mean, I don't want to use the word brainwashed, but we were certainly kind of led to believe that... Uh, the situation in Tibet was really terrible, I mean, which it is, but to the extent that Tibetan culture, language, uh, its uh, traditions and practices were under threat, and uh, that we, uh, you know, who were living in exile were kind of the upholders or the keepers of, uh, of traditional Tibetan values and, you know, uh, the, the whole culture. That was kind of, um, you know, the, the mindset that I think Tibetan exile grew up uh, under. So uh, for us to kind of imagine that uh, in Tibet there could be the possibility, especially uh, in filmmaking, which is uh, such a specialized kind of a, a field, uh, which requires, you know, a teamwork, it requires like funding, it requires, you know, expertise, that suddenly a film would come out of Tibet. Uh, uh, and I first heard about Pema Seten's uh, The Silent Holy Stones, reading about it, uh, I think when it was uh, opening uh, at the Busan International Film Festival in South Korea. And Busan is one of the most prestigious film festivals uh, in Asia uh, and in the world, actually. So to suddenly, like, you know, and the film was being promoted heavily, no doubt by the Chinese government as well, as uh, the first Tibetan, uh, you know, feature film. And it was like, wow, uh, what is this? You know, how did a Tibetan, uh, you know, filmmaker suddenly emerge out of, at least in my mind, out of nowhere, has a film at Busan, which means it's obviously of a certain standard, and you know, and you know, having that kind of bias that uh, or the prejudice that we exiled Tibetans grew up, uh, you know, feeling uh, or, or the sense of superiority, uh, a complete misplaced uh, sense of superiority that we felt that uh, this could not be possible. You know, uh, part of it was also because Pema Seten, uh, when he made uh, the Silent Holy Stones, used uh, spelt his name uh, in the Chinese kind of uh, uh, style. So it was Wan Ma Saidan, you know, which is an approximation of the way his name is pronounced in uh, in Amdo. So it was, to me, it was like, okay, well, he must be like, you know, a Chinese sort of, uh, um, you know, somebody that the Chinese have like sort of, uh, you know, pushed up. So when I saw the film, uh, I saw the film in New York, actually. I was just completely uh, taken aback, uh, you know, really like literally blown away because it was really the first authentic Tibetan film that I had seen from Tibet. Uh, in fact, I mean, there were hardly any Tibetan films made by Tibetan filmmakers anywhere, you know, whether in Tet or in exile. Uh, that told, you know, 
a story of ordinary Tibetans, uh, you know, leading ordinary lives in Tibet, facing, uh, facing you know, kind of uh, uh, problems uh, that were also very human and, uh, and universal, all done in a way that was uh, beautifully like, expressed, uh, you know, in terms of uh, its filmmaking. That really took me, uh, took me you know, by surprise. Uh, I was very, very interested then to find out more about Pema Sethin. And uh, of course, then I learned that uh, not only was he a filmmaker, he was actually a writer, uh, a novelist, uh, a short story writer, writing in both Tibetan and in Chinese, you know, which is a very rare thing. The more I discovered about him and the more films that he then started making uh, and that I started watching, the more I realized that here was a, a truly genuine, you know, artist uh, who had uh, come out of Tibet. Yeah, and, and thank you for mentioning that. I, you know, I, I, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I, I did want to uh, get a little bit more into, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you, you did, uh, you have lived your whole life in exile from Tibet. And, uh, you know, as a person, you know, many people in our audience are Tibetans in exile. And I'm just curious, what did it mean to you to see, you know, not just the Silent Holy Stones, but other films by Pema Setin that were set in your ancestral land? And film is a unique medium in that sense, and that it's, it is different than, than reading literature, which is a wonderful experience too, but to actually be able to see it with your own eyes and see the people and see the landscapes. What was that experience like for you as somebody who, who has never, you've never been able to, to go to Tibet, right? So what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I think the difference between, uh, say, cinema and uh, literature is that uh, cinema uh, kind of holds a mirror up to, uh, you know, uh, a people's kind of uh, lived experiences. And to see yourself uh, depicted uh, on the screen, it's a very powerful thing, you know. And uh, so uh, absolutely to see uh, Tibetan stories uh, from Tibet, particularly from Amdo, which is where uh, my father's from as well, very human stories, stories that uh, normally we don't get to hear about in exile, you know, uh, stories of, you know, nomads, farmers, uh, uh, pastoralists, uh, you know, um, the kind of uh, problems and difficulties and sort of moral kind of uh, conflicts that uh, they were facing in the face of this kind of relentless uh, modernization, this relentless sort of influence that was kind of creeping in from the outside over which uh, they have no control. Uh, I think that was uh, something really special to, uh, to see that. Also, I have to, uh, you know, state uh, or mention at this stage that uh, I understood uh, very uh, clearly that Pema Sethin did not have the freedom to uh, tackle all the subjects that he might well have wanted to, you know, uh, because, of course, uh, of the political kind of situation in Tibet the censorship, the, the, the repression that's uh, ongoing, the attempt by the Chinese authorities to kind of, uh, to control uh, the expression of, uh, you know, uh, ethnic identity as it were. Uh, so all these things were playing against uh, Pema Seten. So for him to then find a way to navigate uh, the, the controls that authorities were imposing upon him and yet be able to tell stories that, uh, you know, rang true, that, uh, were kind of uh, honest, that uh, were things that he wanted to express and talk about. I think that's uh, something that's quite remarkable, uh, something very exceptional that he uh, managed to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've mentioned a, a few of his films here so far. We've talked about uh, The Silent Holy Stones. You mentioned uh, Tharlo, a movie that I uh, greatly enjoyed. For members of our audience who you know haven't had the opportunity to see more of his films, they are 
accessible in the United States might be a little bit hard sometimes for people to find them exactly where they are, but uh, you can watch his movies here. Yeah, for people who aren't as familiar with some of those other other movies, can you kind of talk us through a few of them and, and what are some some titles that if somebody is just approaching the cinema of Pemisetin for the first time, what are some movies that they can maybe start with? Yeah, I think uh, The Silent Holy Stones is a good start uh, to Pemisetin because it's uh, perhaps uh, in some ways uh, the, the most accessible or the simplest uh, of his films uh, in terms of its storytelling. Uh, it's also kind of has a sense of optimism uh, in the film in that it kind of uh, still holds some uh, faith in the strength or the resilience of uh, traditional Tibetan culture to overcome, you know, whatever obstacles these changes from the outside are imposing upon uh, the people there. Uh, that's a good, a good one to start with. I would also uh, highly recommend uh, Old Dog which uh, I think was uh, the third uh, film that he made uh, you know, after, uh, after The Silent Holy Stones. It was the first film in which Pema Seton, prior to uh, Old Dog, he had been quite careful in how he uh, set his stories. So for instance, in The Silent Holy Stones and his second film, uh, Search, The Search, there's an absence of Chinese characters. Uh, you don't see Chinese people at all. You don't. You hardly even kind of uh, sense that uh, all these big momentous changes that are kind of taking place are originating because of you know the Chinese kind of uh, occupation of Tibet. Um, it's seen more as you know a, a universal kind of uh, a universal paradigm that's taking place. You know, uh, people everywhere are undergoing these kind of changes. But in Old Dog, you sense a, a, a visceral kind of uh, an anger that's in the film that uh, comes across. And uh, it's, it's also the first Pema Seton film that has a definite narrative arc. It's uh, got, you know, a key character. It's got conflicts in the traditional sense of, you know, uh, what is, you know, happening, uh, who the victims are, who the, you know, the, the villain is, uh, in a sense, and what's at stake. And uh, it has a denouement, uh, you know, a very dramatic denouement that uh, plays out at the end. It's, it's a beautiful film, and I think it captures so many things about what's happening in Tibet today uh, without, you know, sort of uh, casting blame or... I mean, it does, uh, it does cast some blame on, you know, the rise of, you know, sort of, say, uh, the Chinese, uh, um, you know, uh, upper middle classes and their craze for all things Tibetan, including, you know, the Tibetan uh, nomad mastiff uh, dog, which is at the center, uh, center of, you know, the, the conflict in the film. But uh, at the same time, you know, it's not blaming, uh, it's, it's not a political statement. Uh, and, uh, but yet it, it captures so evocatively the crossroads that Tibetans find themselves in at this, at this moment in their history. So that's a film I would uh, highly recommend. And of course, I think Tharlo is, uh, is the third film that uh, people should watch. It's, uh, it's uh, perhaps Pema Seton's best film uh, in terms of both uh, the the cinema the cinematic language that he employs to tell the story it's uh, you know a film that shot starkly in black and white it's got a very sympathetic uh, leading character it's got uh, you know uh, it sucks you into its uh, tale uh, you know a, a story uh, at the end it kind of spits you out uh, uh, you know feeling feeling everything you know that the character has gone through which is uh, you know not very optimistic. 
So yes, those three films maybe would be uh, good places to start. I, I can definitely, I definitely concur with you on Darlo. Uh, the black and white imagery is absolutely beautiful, breathtaking. Um, the main actor, uh, you know, I don't know, I believe he was a non-professional as well, and just captivating to watch, you know. I think he is uh, quite a well-known comedian and an actor. Sorry. So I think he was actually the only kind of uh, person okay. who had some professional experience uh, right. in the film, but the others uh, were all yeah, yeah non-professionals, yeah. Andrew, and of right. course, Ben Seton, yeah. uh, throughout his uh, you know filmmaking career, used non-professionals uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. you're not wrong in uh, thinking that. Yeah, so. generally, right? Yeah, and yeah. he, yeah, and you're right, absolutely. By the end, it's very emotionally involving experience. And Old Dog, I had the opportunity to watch that uh, after Pemisetin passed away. I went and watched it for the first time. And again, just incredible sort of an allegory for what's happening in Tibet and really just something that I would encourage everybody uh, in our audience to watch just to sort of understand what the emotional experience is like for Tibetans in Tibet. So an incredible movie. As I mentioned, you yourself, of course, are an accomplished filmmaker. You and your partner, Ritu, have made several films. Uh, we had a screening of one of your movies here in Washington uh, a few years ago, where I had the chance to meet you in person. And uh, I'm, I'm just curious, I know you're sort of a contemporary in the sense of uh, Pema Setin, but did he influence you in your own work as a director? I, uh, I mean, that's a hard question to, to answer. I mean, when uh, Pema Setin made his first film, uh, of course, Ritu and I had uh, already made several films. Uh, we had also made our first uh, Tibetan feature film, uh, set in exile. So I think in some ways uh, our, uh, you know, our stylistic kind of uh, path was, uh, was quite different from uh, Pema Setan's. So in that sense, I don't think there's an overlap in terms of, uh, you know, the kinds of films uh, that uh, we were making. And that's, of course, uh, also totally, you know, understandable because uh, Pema Setan grew up in Tibet. His cinematic uh, influences were primarily derived from his uh, stay uh, or his education at the Beijing Film Academy, you know, the premier kind of film academy in China, where he had access to, uh, you know, a lot of international uh, world cinema, but of course also uh, the Chinese cinematic tradition that uh, is, uh, you, know, you know, you know, has a long tradition in China, unlike say in exile where we kind of were uh, kind of, you know, adrift, uh, you know, not connected to our homeland, more concerned about uh, questions of identity, about, you know, homeland. Um, politics played a big role in our concerns. Uh, all things that are kind of, uh, you know, different uh, from Pema Setan's concerns. So I, I think in terms of influence, uh, I, I don't think uh, there was any influence in that sense. But uh, certainly I respected him uh, hugely for uh, what he accomplished, uh, for the legacy he's left behind. And uh, yeah, um, you know, enormous respect for what he's done. Yeah, and, and that kind of segues well to the next question that I wanted to ask, which is that, uh, you know, Pema Setin is uh, probably the most well-known filmmaker from Tibet, and he did have a lot of success uh, in international film festivals, was known, you know, got reviews in uh, Hollywood publications and things like that. But he was sort of a, a trailblazer, but there have been other film artists who have come uh, in, in, in following him. I'm curious now, obviously, you know, we, we've lost uh, sort of maybe the, the best known name from the Tibetan film industry, but uh, I'm curious as we kind of reflect on his legacy and where we are now, can you talk a little bit about the state of other Tibetan filmmakers and, uh, you know, are there other people who are able to kind of carry on his legacy? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because uh, from what I have understood, uh, one of Pema Seton's uh, kind of concerns when he uh, started out as a filmmaker was the fact that there were no Tibetan filmmakers in Tibet telling Tibetan stories. And he set out very, uh, you know, sort of uh, very definitely to challenge uh, the kind of uh, exoticized uh, depiction of uh, Tibet that even Chinese filmmakers were, uh, you know, coming out with. He uh, said on several, uh, on several occasions in several interviews that uh, he felt uh, his job was as a Tibetan to be the mouthpiece, the eyes, the, the, the conscience um, of what Tibetan people were going through, that only Tibetans could tell authentic uh, Tibetan stories. And part of uh, this mission that he kind of set out for himself was to create uh, a kind of an infrastructure where Tibetans could then, uh, you know, not just him, but other Tibetans could also, you know, be empowered to uh, tell their own stories uh, on film. And uh, in order to do this, right from the beginning, he enlisted uh, many young Tibetans uh, to work for him in different capacities. Uh, his uh, cameraman uh, in uh, his first films was uh, Suntar Gyal, who uh, actually also studied at the Beijing Film Academy. And Suntar Gyal then uh, went on to make uh, his own films uh, successfully, had them shown uh, in international film festivals. There's a whole generation of younger Tibetans that you know, Pema Seton has directly influenced, uh, if not actually mentored, you know, who are now taking up the baton, as it were. And uh, I mean, there are, uh, there's Lapel Gyal, uh, there's Pema, uh, Pema Seton's own son, uh, Jigmi, who's also, uh, uh, you know, uh, making his first film. There's uh, Khashem Gyal. So there's a whole group of uh, young filmmakers, especially in Amdo, that uh, are, uh, already there, I think that's the legacy that Pema Seton left behind. He left behind, uh, he forged the path and he created uh, a kind of uh, an ecosystem for Tibetans to be able to uh, follow him. And uh, he's done that so successfully because, you know, even though it's such a great loss that, uh, you know, he's no longer there, he's made sure that there are people, uh, you know, who will carry on his legacy. And uh, I feel also that his influence uh, transcended, uh, you know, just the Amdo region of, uh, of Tibet, where he's from, even though the majority of his films were in the Amdo language. But he recognized that uh, to be a Tibetan filmmaker or to talk about Tibetan films, one had to go beyond uh, you know, these kind of uh, provincial sort of uh, boundaries. And in fact, he was, I think, making, he was planning to make uh, a couple of films, one in Kham and one in uh, Utsang in central Tibet. So he realized that, you know, he had to go beyond just Amdo. And in that sense, I think he did uh, influence filmmakers from these other parts of Tibet as well. As far as uh, I'm concerned, uh, I think Tibetan filmmaking is now at a stage in Tibet where it can go on to, you know, sort of perpetuate itself. But of course, uh, it all depends on the vagaries of, you know, the, the, the political system in China and how much freedom is allowed to these, uh, to these filmmakers. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Before we go, you know, I do, I do have to ask you yourself, uh, as I mentioned, we saw your film, uh, The Street Requiem here in Washington. And uh, are there any other projects that you and Ritu are working on that you might be able to share with us? Or can you kind of give us an update on uh, what's going on with, uh, with you two as filmmakers? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, we are slated to shoot a, a short uh, Tibetan film uh, later this year. Uh, it's going to be part of uh, an omnibus of five Tibetan films by five Tibetan filmmakers. 
and it's been uh, initiated by Trung, uh, Trung Tibetan Filmmakers Collective in Dharamsala, a collective of young Tibetan filmmakers. So I think that's very exciting uh, for me personally because, you know, five of us, uh, very different filmmakers, are going to come together to sort of reflect on the questions of uh, exile, of, you know, statelessness, of uh, identity uh, in five short films, uh, which will then be presented as one uh, omnibus film. So that's slated for later this year. But Ritun, I've been, uh, you know, working on this long-term project, which is actually an archive-based uh, exhibition project uh, called uh, Shadow Circus, um, a personal archive of uh, Tibetan resistance. And it kind of uh, is uh, an exhibition based on the archives uh, of my father, who was very involved in the Tibetan resistance and particularly in uh, its liaison with the CIA, uh, the, the archives he maintained. And then the research that Ritu and I did uh, on, on the Tibetan resistance, uh, including the CIA's involvement, uh, tracking down former CIA agents and talking to them, interviewing them. So this uh, exhibition has um, started out in Berlin uh, three years ago uh, as part of the Berlin Film Festival and has since shown in uh, Delhi and recently at the Kochi Biennale. And it will now show in a, in an, a gallery in Bombay. And then next year in... Uh, the Mannheim uh, Photo uh, Biennale in Germany. So this is a project that uh, is very close to our heart and it's something we dearly want to show in America because we think um, the subject is uh, of such relevance to, to Americans, you know, and so little known, uh, this, this particular chapter of America's involvement in Tibet, that it would be great to, you know, have an opportunity to show it there. So that's something that we're kind of uh, actively working on. Thank you for those very exciting projects, both of those. So it's very exciting to hear about that. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. We, we really, it's been great to talk to you about this, but we've really even only kind of scratched the surface of uh, Pema Setson's work as a filmmaker and his importance as a filmmaker. Um, just one last question for you before we go. Are there any final words that you would like to share with our audience to kind of help people understand uh, Pema Setson's importance as a filmmaker? Yeah, one thing I'd like to uh, emphasize, I think, is that... Uh, Although, uh, you know, uh, Tibetans are rightly proud of uh, Pema Tseten as being, you know, the first Tibetan filmmaker to come out of Tibet and uh, make a mark on the international uh, cinema stage, we should also uh, remember that Pema Tseten is a true uh, uh, cinema auteur. Uh, in, in the larger cinematic kind of universe, he, uh, he forged uh, a distinct identity for himself as a filmmaker something that's really, uh, you know, difficult to achieve. So his kind of uh, achievements or his uh, fame rests not just upon the fact that he is a Tibetan filmmaker from Tibet, but that he is a genuine uh, auteur, uh, a filmmaker of great originality who uh, managed to bring Tibetan cinema, you know, to the attention of um, the international uh, audiences. And uh, that, I think, is uh, where his legacy is going to be the most kind of uh, significant uh, in the future. Benson Sonala, thank you so much for joining us on Tibet Talks. It was a pleasure, Ashwin. Thank you for having me. My thanks again to Tenzin Sonala for joining me for that conversation about Pema Seddon. It was truly a treat to speak with one great Tibetan filmmaker to try to understand the work of another. But as I said during that conversation, we are only scratching the surface on the cinema of Pemisset. And the best way for you to truly understand the work 
of this Tibetan master is to seek out his films yourself and to watch them. And while you're doing that, please also check out the films of Tenzin Sanamla and his partner, Ritu Seren. By seeing these movies, you can understand what Tibetans have to contribute to our understanding of our own world and our own lives, as well as why it's so important for all of us to work to preserve Tibetan culture and to protect Tibetans' freedom to express themselves artistically. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Tibet Talks. We will be back next month to celebrate the 88th birthday of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and we look forward to seeing you then. Until then, as we always say on the show, stay safe, stay well, and stay active. Thank you, and to Jiche. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tibet Talks. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Learn more at savetibet.org pod. To find out how you can get involved in our efforts to promote human rights and democratic freedoms for the people of Tibet, please visit savetibet.org support. Thank you and see you next time on Tibet Talks.